With the development and expansion of technology, in particular social media, we've had tons of gas poured on multitudes of people's emotions. This has hurt lots of people real bad. On today's Keeping It Real, it'll be part three of our Killer Gods and Idols series. Today's episode features hoping for something, or should I say someone else, when there has been this appeal to be angry, stay angry, and not care what the anger causes. To be this angry means being hateful. Hence, today's episode is entitled The God of Hate. Many people believe it's okay or even cool to hate other people. Other people who hate won't admit to hating others, but their actions bleed hatred all over them. Hate can be directed at an individual, a particular group, or at most of the rest of the world. What causes a person to be angry and to hate? Is anything done in the name of love that is actually hateful? Can worshiping the God of hate ever be justified? This is keeping it real, and I'll openly admit, I have known some people that I've had great difficulty not hating. Chances are, so have you. But praise God for his son Jesus and how he gives grace and mercy in delivering us and responding to his divine actions to reform us. So let's journey together on exposing and smashing the God of hate. Welcome to the Keeping It Real podcast. Only tired of fake stuff? Shouldn't we turn down a stale brand of living? It's time to open our hearts to Christ. It's time to keep it real. Here's your host, Ollie G. All right, and a sincere and legit welcome to all of you to another episode of the Keeping It Real podcast. I'm your host, Ollie G, and today it is part three of our Killer Gods and Idols series. Uh, this one's called The God of Hate. We're going to be looking at a passage of scripture in Luke chapter 15 momentarily. But to further expound on the opening comments that uh, have been made uh, from the jump here, the God of Hate disguises and masquerades in all kinds of different ways. Uh, this isn't just something, this phenomena that just jumps out and makes it abundantly obvious all the time, although it does certainly do that some of the time. But a lot of times it's disguised, it's masqueraded, and there's wide-scale commonality uh, to this, which is why there is such a great deal of a p- emotional appeal to worship this God of hate. Now, I know a number of people m- might be listening or that will eventually listen to this episode of the podcast and think, well, that's not me. I don't really hate anyone. I don't have a mean bone in my body. Well, God says in his word that if we have hatred for someone else, we've committed murder. So it's not just uh, openly manifesting that with some violent or vicious act or with a plethora of words that are aggressive or inappropriate. It can be buried deep in our hearts. If we have hatred for another in our hearts, we have committed murder, Jesus said. So it, it, these sentiments can be deeply buried within. So there is a wide-scale commonality on this. Uh, listen, we can hear uh, this go on at conversations at the water cooler at workplaces. We can hear uh, this kinds of discussions going on oftentimes amongst people at uh, sporting events. There's all kinds of rhetoric and discussion can be easily picked up on and can be described as angry. Uh, and again, you could just look at social media. I mean, it's easily it's easy to analyze how much of the rhetoric and the back and forth and exchanges on social media are bathed in a spirit of hatred. 
And that's why we describe this, this God of hate within the context of this killer gods and idols series. And we describe this title as the God of hate, not the idol of hate, because again, uh, ourselves, the, the idol in the mirror, which we addressed in part one and the foundational message of this series, which is a definite must listen to, uh, we've been created. That's why uh, I describe that as an idol. And money is something that has been made, which is why we describe it as an idol. Hate is something that isn't visually seen. And this is why we describe it as a god, a god of hate. And it comes about through misguided reasoning. A lot of people feel like they're legit and having sentiments of anger or uh, feelings of rage and, and hating other people. Um, and so they point to any one or more of humanistic phenomena to back this up. Well, I'm not hating as much as somebody else or other people hate this person too. So therefore I'm justified in my anger of this person or my hatred of this person, or this person did this to me. You should, you don't even want to know the half of what this person did. And because they, or this group of people did these things to me or to loved ones of mine, we feel like we are justified in our anger. Now, listen, this is not to say that um, we're just simply to accept or take what other people do and, and be emotionless with what they do. We can be hurt. We can be upset. Um, we can uh, be disappointed. We can get discouraged. Those are all normal human reactions. But to respond with anger and more specifically hatred of another person, that is not approved. That's not supported. In fact, that is condemned in scripture. It's vital to know that, of course, the opposite of hatred or having a sentiment of hatred is love. And love and hate cannot coexist. Love is the opposite of hate. They can never go together. They never walk together. They can never hang out together. So either we have a loving spirit, a loving heart towards somebody else, or we would have a feeling of hatred or a, a spirit of hatred towards another person, or we could be largely indifferent. It's not to say we're certainly unloving towards uh, another person. We are instructed to love all people as Christ did for God. So loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. But we may not love one person nearly as much of another, just for the simple fact that we don't know them. We don't know them personally. Uh, maybe we've kind of heard of them or know about them because of their popularity or because they've been uh, widely recognized or what have you. But we are certainly never justified in our hatred of another person. Hate will beget more hate, which leaves a person in no other place but in misery. And there are two things that God of hate worshipers seek out. God of hate worshipers seek out two things that we're going to be getting into momentarily. But first, I want to read this passage of scripture that's going to be our core passage that we're going to look at today on this episode of the podcast. And it's found in Luke chapter 15. Be mindful that this is the parable of the lost son. And there are three characters, main characters within this parable. There's the prodigal son. There's the prodigal father, the father of the son that went off and um, blew everything that the father gave him. Uh, the father gave him a lot of uh, money and what have you. And the, the son went off to some distant land and just 
wasted it, blew it all on all kinds of immorality and sin. Well, there's a third character to this, and that is the older brother of this prodigal son. And he oftentimes gets overlooked in this parable. There's a lot, when this when this passage of scripture is preached on or taught on, a lot of times the focus is on the, on the son, or sometimes it's on the dad. And I very rarely and hardly ever have seen any messages on the older brother. Well, we're going to hone in on the older brother and specifically his attitude or his spirit of hatred that he has in this account. So just to give a quick background of this parable, again, the son blows everything. Then he comes back. He comes back to his dad. He has nothing. He has no money. He has no credibility. He has nothing. He comes back empty. Not only empty in his spirit, he comes back empty-handed. He has nothing, owns nothing, has nothing to really talk about other than the fact he is hopeless and is in great despair. And his dad gets excited to see him. Most people would be like, well, man, dude, sorry, you're on your own. I mean, I gave you all of this stuff. And if you blew it all, that's your problem. You're an adult now. Figure it out. Well, not the dad. The dad welcomes him back, welcomes him back with open arms. He is extremely honored and just has all kinds of sentiments of love flying around in his spirit that his son would return home. We pick up the passage here in verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he, that being the older brother, but he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he, that being the dad, said to him, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. All right, hate will beget more hate, which leaves a person in no other place but in misery. We're going to see two things that this brother sought out, the older brother, that is, in worshiping the God of hate. In response, it's all in response to his younger brother and what transpired upon his younger brother's return. The first off is revenge. God of hate worshipers will always seek out revenge. They will either be vengeful in a person or a group of people in what that individual or what that group of people did to them. They will look to get even, or they will look to get one up, or in some way they will look to get back, at least get back somewhat at the person or group of people that have wronged that individual. Or they will seek out revenge, maybe not directly, but indirectly. 
what they did to somebody else, to uh, a friend of theirs, a family member, somebody that they love uh, greatly, and they will seek out revenge because of that. Well, this revenge is direct, okay? Because the older brother emphasized why he was angry, okay? Wrath and spite are emotional, visceral reactions. Let's see how spiteful this older brother was once again. Because the older brother hears the party that is going on. There is a celebration that is happening. Upon gaining the intel from one of the servants as to what is going on, and more importantly, why it's going on, when the servant says to him, your brother has come and he's been received safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. Now, the why is that important? That's important because that was produced as an offering, as a celebratory offering in this case. The fatted calf was a not just a symbol, but an actual possession of wealth. And so when this younger brother comes back and the dad decides to kill the fatted calf, not just some other calf, the fatted calf, the best of what he had for this no good little brother, for this no good kid, young adult now that's come back and wasted it on prostitutes and living it up and blowing all of the riches, all of the wealth, all of everything that his dad had given him. And not a single time did this ever happen for the older brother who stood by his dad, who stayed devoted to his dad, worked for his dad. That never happened. So how does the older brother respond? Does he respond like the dad does? Does he respond like the way how God would have wanted him to? No way, no how. He responds with, he was so angry, he would not go in. That is, he wasn't showing up. There's this party going on, and he has no interest in showing up. So at the very least, he's a non-participant, okay? But really, more likely, based off of the ensuing comments that this individual makes, this individual being the older brother, he is looking to ruin the celebration. Wrath and spite, they are, they are emotional reactions that never produce anything positive. Hate will beget more hate, which leaves a person in no other place than in misery. This older brother could never say he was not miserable. He was. And by the way, he was miserable long before this day came. Why or how can we know that? Because he later cites how this calf, this fatted calf, was not offered for him at any point in time. He was there serving. He was there working. He was there by his dad's side and never did it get offered up. Now, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here because I'm bleeding into the other thing that a God of hate worshiper will seek out. But I want to stay on revenge. I want to stay here for just a few couple more moments because let's now transition in maybe some modern day examples and how we can see how this element of revenge plays out. Think of a sports team. I know a lot of times bring out sports analogies. I'm a sports fan. I like sports. I love the competition that's a part of sports. I'm not crazy 
I'm not win at all costs. I'm not, you know, we'll do whatever it takes to win. Never was I that as a soccer coach. Never would I be that as a player or anything else. But I do enjoy sports and I love uh, some sort of level of competition that comes with it. In order to have success as a team, a team needs to stay together. They can't be against one another or at one another. And unfortunately, a lot of athletes at the professional level, uh, certainly, but really at all levels, when a team falls apart or starts to fall apart, it means there's a lack of humility. There's not a looking to work together. And that will oftentimes dictate the success level or lack thereof because of the lack of humility. And I'm not talking about just along the lines of wins and losses. I'm not talking about a, a team's win-loss record necessarily. It could certainly reflect that and oftentimes does reflect that and can mean that. But more importantly, when a team falls apart, not only do they fall apart on the scoreboard, they fall apart as people. And that's what God is really interested in. And that's oftentimes what I uh, told players that I had an opportunity to coach. If you guys are not going to play together and support one another and be there for one another, even in the midst of losing, even in the midst of losing badly because another team's just simply more talented or more experienced than we are, we still need to stick together because if we don't stick together, it will all but guarantee the result on the scoreboard. And worse yet, it will mean a falling apart for us as people. That's not just true in the sports world. It's also true in the corporate world. Think of how companies fall apart. Companies fall apart because there's a disrespect, a disrespect for people in managerial positions or in supervisory roles. Not only is there a disrespect for the hierarchical positions, but there is a disrespect for people in general. Even people who are bosses will disrespect their employees oftentimes. There is a lack of respect when that happens. People get undervalued, and then we wonder how companies fall apart. A lot of times they will fall apart economically, and they will dissipate that way. But what's worse yet is that they will fall apart as people because they will harbor this anger over that bleeds from or stems from their disrespect. So a god of hate worshiper will seek out revenge. And the older brother certainly sought that out because he said, he said, I'm not going in. What does the scripture say in verse 28 of Luke chapter 15? He was angry and would not go in. His father came out and pleaded with him. He was a non-participant at the very least. Probably he was more just a very vengeful, self-centered, older brother individual that was looking to get back at his dad, get back at his younger brother, and he was looking to make a statement. I'm not going in. And I'm not I'm not going in. And here's why. Now we're going to get into the why here in just a minute. But God of hate of worshipers seek out two things. They'll seek out revenge and they will seek out something else called justification. Now make no mistake, hate will beget more hate, which leaves a person in no other place but in misery. And we see this just fly off of the pages of Luke chapter 15 in this parable. Because God of hate of worshipers seek out not only revenge, but then justification. Listen to what the older brother, the eldest son of this dad, says to his dad, by the way. 
He doesn't say this to just one of the other servants or somebody working out in the field. He says this to his dad. He's got some respect issues going on here. He answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might take or that I might make merry with my friends. So let's stop there for a moment. If you don't think this dude is self-centered, again, I will highlight or illustrate the personal pronoun I and me. Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make marry with my friends. Well, gee, older brother, who's this all about? Is it about your son coming home safe? Or is it about your younger brother coming home safe? Is it about his welfare? Is it, is it an opportunity for him to get a second chance at life? Don't Guess what? A lot of us have needed second chances. Or if you're anything like yours truly that's speaking to you right now, I've gotten I don't know how many chances. Love says that there is room for this guy to have a second chance. Not that he deserves it, but he has an opportunity to get it. He's returned home. He could have went anywhere else. He could have went anywhere to a thousand places and just shriveled up, felt sorry for himself or been self-centered himself. But no, he came back. He was willing to come back with nothing. He was looking to get nothing. He wasn't expecting anything. He was just looking to come back home. He wanted to be with his dad. He wanted to be with his family. And this older brother says, I never got the fatted calf that I might make merry with my friends. Well, gee, dad, you kind of overlooked me all of this time. And he just shows up. And at the first minute he shows up, you just totally cater to him. Not only was he vengeful or he was seeking out revenge, he was seeking out justification because now I'm going to read verse 30. But as soon as this son of yours, notice that he doesn't say as soon as this brother of mine or as soon as my brother shows up, he doesn't even acknowledge him as his brother. Like, I don't know who this dude is, but he's not, I'm not even related to him or I don't want to be associated with him. I don't want to be identified as being kin with him. I don't want to be identified as being related to him. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. All right. So the older brother goes into a whole historical account of what happened how he got slighted and how his brother was able to live it up and his brother comes home and his brother is treated like royalty. He goes into this historical record of self-justification because he says, I spent this time serving you and I never transgressed your commandment. He points to historical accounts. If it was recorded on paper or if it was documented, I'm sure the older brother probably would have even produced it. There is a contrast picture that is painted by the older brother. I'm all that. The younger brother is none of that. And look at how you're treating You're treating him like he's all that. And you're treating me like I'm none of that. Justice is not served in the eyes of the elder brother here. He's thinking justice is nowhere to be found. If there was a justice system or if there was a court of law, like it is, forget about it. 
And so there is this contrast pick that is painted by the elder brother. Notice what else that he, that he says, and I highlighted it before. I'll do it again in verse 30. But as soon as this son of yours came, he is demeaning his younger brother. Again, not only does he not want to be associated with him, he doesn't even want to be identified as his older brother. He wants nothing to do with him. He says, but as soon as this son of yours... So he's not only putting down his older brother, he's putting down his dad. As soon as this son of yours, this scum bucket that you call your son has come back, that's demeaning. That's besmirching. That's putting down to some really lowly level. So the God of hate worshipers seek out two things. One is they seek out revenge. The other thing is they seek out justification. And to, and to elaborate on this whole concept of justice, justice is in the hands of the Lord. Justice is not in the hands of a judge, ultimately, not a human judge. It's not in the hands of a lawyer or a group of lawyers. It's not in the hands of any legal system, per se. And the legal systems vary from nation to nation, by the way. And none of them have the ultimate authority. Now, they have some authority limited authority given to them by God. But the ultimate authority on what is just and what the justful actions are to be taken is in the hands of the Lord. And when someone becomes a child of God, they accept Jesus Christ as their personal savior by asking him to forgive them of all of their sins, trusting in what he did on the cross as payment for all of their sins and placing their faith in him not only in his death on the cross, but in him rising from the grave, and that he is a living Lord, reigning from on high, we understand that as children of God, we give up all of our rights. And if you're listening to this episode of the podcast as a child of God, and you're looking to hold on to something that you claim to be your right, that means you have a compromised faith. You have a weakened faith. Your faith is not as strong as what it could be. Because a child of God ultimately gives up all of their rights, their rights to be angry, their rights for revenge, their rights to seek out justice. I'm not saying don't ever show – there are times you have no choice but to show up in court for a legal matter per se. It may be a domestic um, thing or you may be called upon as a juror to participate in jury duty and whatever it may be. But the child of God ultimately gives up all of their rights. And if there is a situation that is perhaps distressing or leaves you out of sorts, maybe it is a trial that is mounting and it, it is bleeding into turmoil, may I suggest that God has given us the appeal to pray. We are to seek him in the place of prayer and leave everything to him, including the results. May I suggest that if this older brother was a man of prayer, he would have responded just like the dad. And this whole parable, or much of it, would have been a non-issue, at least certainly from his perspective, or when honing in, zeroing in on his life and his response, his attitude to this situation. Hate will beget more hate, which leaves a person in no other place but in misery. This older brother, the eldest son of this dad, he had issues with hate because of the historical accounts that he gives in this very passage. 
he points back to all of the time that went by when the fatted calf wasn't offered for a celebration for him, wasn't to honor him. He couldn't ever bring any of his friends to that celebration because the celebration never was there to be had. This is all stuff that he had stuffed on the inside. It was all brewing in his heart for all of this time, all of these years. And now that the brother comes back, it comes out because of the how the fatted calf was offered up. It comes out. A hate will beget more hate, which leaves a person in no other place but in misery. This older brother was vengeful. He was seeking out revenge. He wasn't showing up. He was having no parts in it. What ways have you sought out revenge? What ways have you sought to get back at somebody that has wronged you, slighted you, said something bad about you, gave you a mean look, mistreated you, did you wrong, talked about you behind your back? What have you done to try and demonstrate revenge? I tell you, revenge is a toxic attitude to have. And that kind of hatred will beget more hate, which leaves a person in no other place but in misery. And then it'll lead to justification. Those acts of being vengeful or demonstrating revenge, then you'll reach out for justification. You'll point out all the things that didn't happen that should have happened, like this older brother in offering up the fatted calf when the younger brother came home. Or you will cite other things, what did happen that shouldn't have happened, like the offering up of the fatted calf as soon as the brother returned home. Like, that wasn't fair. That wasn't legit. Like, why do that? So what ways have you felt like you've been slighted at the expense of somebody else? Somebody else got the promotion. Somebody else got the raise who falls asleep at their desk or hardly has the work ethic that you have. Or how have you cried out, this is illegitimate because someone else got accolades or someone else got attention that you should have gotten because you have been at that workplace for many years, or you have helped out with that extracurricular activity or community event for so long. It's not to say that it's fair. It's not fair. A lot of things in life are not fair. But what God is concerned about, what God is after, is our attitudes. What is our spirit like? First of all, as children of God, we are to honor him. We are to understand how he was greatly mistreated. You think Jesus ever claimed, ever cried out unfair? He never cried out unfair, even though his whole life was characterized by how people mistreated him and how people dealt with him unfairly. So what does all of this boil down to? It boils down to us being broken of the hate. And listen, as I mentioned from the jump here this in this episode of the podcast, I, I've had people that I've had great difficulty loving. And I'll be honest. I've hated, and chances are so have you. You could, As you've been listening to this episode of the podcast, chances are maybe you've thought of a person or two. Maybe you've thought of a whole bunch of people that you have downright hated. You have had ill feelings towards. You've had trouble just even thinking of them in any kind of a positive light. Well, we need to be broken of that hate. And the way how to be broken of that hate is to cry out to God for the forgiveness of worshiping this God. This god of hate is known as Eris in the Greek, meaning strife. It actually was a very popular concept back at that time to worship an actual image or statue per se. Um, and so what people do nowadays is obviously not that. 
but they worship the God of hate based off of revenge and feeling justified in having sentiments of hatred, feelings of anger, being spiteful or having strife with another. In order to be broken of hate, we've got to welcome the God of love to break us of this hate. And if we would look to him, cry out for him to smash this God that we have allowed to be manifest in our lives, he will do that faithfully and be willing to transform to love. We get broken of hate, transform to love. And that process has to be super supernatural. It can't happen in and of ourselves. We can't muster up an, some kind of self-ability to accomplish this. We can't manufacture enough mental toughness to bring this about. We can't wish for this to happen. We've got to appeal to the Lord first in a spirit of seeking out forgiveness, claiming that forgiveness, and then allowing the supernatural God to execute a supernatural process of taking us from worshiping the God of hate to having a spirit of love. For the fruit of the spirit is love, Galatians chapter 5. Now, love is not emotion only, and we'll close with this. It's not an emotion only. It is being secure in the truth as well, or even more so. A lot of people today talk about love and loving others and just it's all about love and that includes being tolerant of all kinds of other people and and their behavior their behavioral patterns and things like that i'm not saying to be tolerant of sin i'm not talking in this episode of the podcast of accepting ungodly lifestyles or or immoral actions wicked actions i'm not talking about those things i'm talking about the people as the objects of our hatred not the behavior, even our own behavior. I'm hardest on my own behavior and how it can be sinful and fall short of God's glory. But hate will beget more hate, which leaves a person in no other place but in misery. And that is hate for people. We are to hate no one, but we are to love others. Hate worshipers, God of hate worshipers seek out two things, revenge and justification. And hate will beget more hate, which leaves a person in no other place but in misery. And my question is, why be there? Why stay there? What would be the point in that? Where is life going to end up? Should we live all of our days in hate and ultimately in misery? When God has something so much more, so much greater, because he is the one who is love and he is unconditionally loving, infinitely loving and wants us transforming from any spirit of hatred that we may have had, transforming it into a spirit of love, where we are walking in love, walking as children of love, and being closely connected with the one who is love, the Lord and King Jesus Christ. 